Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Prison Officers Association, the UK's largest professional union for prison, correctional and secure psychiatric workers with over 30,000 members. In this special toolkit episode, Deputy General Secretary Joe Simpson discusses the importance and the practical effects of new mandatory first aid at work and emergency first aid at work regulations recently published by HMPPS. Welcome to this special toolkit edition of the POA podcast. I'm very pleased to have with me Joe Simpson, Deputy General Secretary of the POA. We're here to talk about new mandatory standards for first aid and emergency first aid in in prisons. Joe, I suppose the the place to start is what's the difference between first aid and emergency first aid? The difference is emergency, it's training and what you can do. Emergency first aid is for somebody who would, for argument's sake, if, if they came across a prisoner bleeding, they would just staunch the floor, blood, put pressure on it and stay there until the first aider came along. It's just to give that initial treatment and then the first aider would take over who's got more training, can assess it, decide when to call an ambulance, take them to the first aid room, whatever they need to do. That's the difference in it. All right. And clearly both skill sets are are of vital importance in an environment like prisons where violence or the threat of violence is never very far away. They are, but the problem that we've got is with, with the employer because they think that our members volunteer for it. It's a voluntary task. And some managers are putting pressure on some of our members to say, if you don't do first aid, you can't do nights. Well, that's wrong. That is totally wrong. Everybody should be trained in emergency first aid. That's too ensure that the people that we're looking after we can we can give them some treatment but the first aid and what we're saying to management first aid is for your employees they're not for prisoners or anything like that if you then want to open it up and you want first aid for prisoners then you're going to have to have a, a another risk assessment to tell you where you need them because the first aid regulations state that if you've got a prison of a, a, a thousand prisoners then you're looking at it it's one first aider per 50 people but we just get into ridiculous realms like that so what we're saying to management is you need a separate separate policy because what they've got on nights They've got the night orderly officer who's in charge of the jail, who is the trained first aider. Well, if they're dealing with a member of staff or a prisoner and something else happens in the, in the prison, what do they do? Uh, and that that's not coming across. And what we've said to management is because this is an extra skill set that you're putting on to our members, you should then reward them with pay to recognise that extra skill set. They say no because they've got enough volunteers. The emergency first aid at work, all prison officers who come through the training to be a prison officer actually trained in it, which we haven't got a problem with. 
when it comes to first aid, then we are saying that's a different package because you're now asking staff after they finish the training to take on an extra skill. So for me, the prison service have got to do it. They've got to do the risk assessment to find out where they need it. And also they've got to understand where they've got 24-hour healthcare, what do healthcare provide for prisoners? Because if healthcare provide first aid for prisoners, then there's no need for us to do it. They can be taken out the risk assessment. That's what we're what we're saying to people. Right. And of course, there are new first aid and emergency first aid mandatory regulations that have recently come into force. And the first step is the first aid needs risk assessment, isn't it? That's right. And every prison should do that. And then once they've got the, the risk assessment, then they should be looking at that and saying, right, where are we weak and where do we need this? And where do we need first aiders? How many first aiders do we need? How do we contact them? What work are they going to be doing in the prison? Because if they're doing face-to-face work with a prisoner, let's say the first aid is on a wing, who's part of the wing complement, and they're required elsewhere, how are they released then? Do they immediately leave? Well, that leaves a gap. And this is what we're saying. The whole, the whole safety thing is about what is the dangers of that first aider leaving the work place to go and treat somebody? What does it leave behind? And I think management are just, if they do the risk assessment and say they need, let's say for argument's sake, they need 20 trained first aiders in order to cover the whole work and week, they're happy with that. But nobody checks to see if they're on duty or anything like that. So there are a whole range of issues there that that, that process introduces, aren't they? Firstly, that the minimum levels of, st- of first aid staffing have got to be mm. assessed and then have got to be res- resourced. Yeah. Secondly, there's a particular issue when it comes to night night staffing, not just the pressure that yeah. is applied in, in yeah. some jails for people to to have to be first aiders to be considered for night night rosters. Then I suppose there's a question of contact, isn't there? I understand part of the new regulations is is that there, there must be radios for, for first aiders, but that's not always the case when the policies roll not- out. Yeah, that's it. They should set a radio aside with a call sign to say that you need a first aider on duty. But what's also got to be looked at is the size of the establishment as well. So you look at some of our bigger jails, you look at Birmingham, you look at Franklin, you look at Oakwood in the private sector. And that's not being taken into account because if you've only got one first aider on duty, and they need to get from A to B, that takes time because obviously they're going there on foot and you're not allowed to run in prisons. You've got to swiftly move. So it then cuts it down again, and that's, that's not what's happening because what they're saying is we've got a first aider on duty, we're covered. Are you? Yes, indeed, because anything that could take that first aider away from being on duty, anything, then puts the cover in jeopardy. 
I suppose yes. this, this this all roots back to an adequate risk assessment and an adequate risk assessment arrangement, doesn't it, Joe? And are there are there some jails which traditionally have been very strong on this kind of? It's got to be a collaborative approach, hasn't it, between management and the union? It has, and when when we look at these things and we sit our our colleagues out in the field when we send out, we've just sent out a negotiating document for them. It's the first time we've ever done it when a new policy came in. And it was something that myself and Mick Pimler came up with and said, this is what we're going to do. And say to people, right, when it comes out, this is what you need to do. You need to find out, has the risk assessment being done? Have you been consulted on it? What call sign it's going to be? Things like that. If these things are not in place, this is how you, you remedy it. You either put an SFC in, suggestion for change, or you put in a dispute that you haven't got first aid cover. I think this is the third policy that has come out from HMPPS. And what we say to them is, no matter how many times you change the policy, it doesn't mean to say you're going to get the coverage and you're going to get the your staff volunteering. What you've got to do is you've got to give them some sort of incentive to say, look, I want to be a first aider. There you go. There's some there's some extra money. So like I said to the peer review body, I, I come out of the training school as a fully trained prison officer. That training means that I can deal with prisoners. I can wear a smoke hood. I can or should be able to write an act, put a prisoner on report, search them. Then when I get in, so I'm that's me being paid as a prison officer. That's my role. And then the prison service come along and say, we would like you to have an extra skill to be a first aider. And we as a union, as always, as every union does, yeah, that's fine. How much are you going to give us to cover that task? Or nothing. Not exactly so an incentive, where, is it? Exactly. And that's where they fall down because people then don't volunteer. And then the the policy falls into disrepute. But the the challenge that I see for HMPPS in, in this is that they have declared that these are mandatory standards. And if they kind of fall at the first hurdle because there hasn't been an adequate risk assessment and they haven't fully engaged with the POA at a local level, then they're, you know, they're building a trapdoor in their own policy. Absolutely. They've done it. The last time, that's why they changed the policy. We piloted the policy and put it out to, I think it was eight jails. We since contacted the eight jails and said, did it go well? And turned around and says, well, we don't know because we weren't involved in it, some of them. And and that's the problem. It, it's not management seem to think that the peer were a hindrance in all this and we're not... It was us that called for a first aid policy for our members. It was us that called for a first aid room in our big establishment so we could save the dignity of our members. And when you give it to management, and I've got to say the policy that they've put out this time is a lot better than the two previous attempts. But where it falls down is people are not volunteering because there's no incentive to do that. What they can't get their head around, we realise that our members have got a duty of care to prisoners. 
we have got a duty of care to prisoners. And what we've said to them is, well, that's fine. Do a separate risk assessment for your prisoners. So you separate the two. If there's an incident, then you've got two first aiders on duty, minimum. So either one of them can respond and go to wherever they need to go to. Then if there's a member of staff injured, the other one goes to the member of staff. What's wrong with that? It's common sense. But because I haven't got the volunteers and they know they're not going to get the volunteers, they don't do that. So what we said to them is, what happens if the first aider is delivering first aid to a prisoner and a member of staff's injured? Silence. Should the member of staff then leave the prisoner and go to the member of staff? And this is the frustration around the policy. It's as clear as mud once it gets into establishments. Right, Joe, I think clearly this is a key issue for, for the union and its members and yeah. local committees have a key role to to, to play. If yeah. people want to find out more information about the policy and about the negotiating guide, where should they look? Yeah. Uh, we recently put it out in a circular. I can't remember what it was, but if they look on the PWA website, go on to circulars, it's under there. That will help them to look at the first aid policy to ensure that we get uniformity right across the prison estate for our members. But the, the one thing that I will say to them is we need to do this in order to turn around and say to management, you haven't got the cover. So what are you going to do about it now? Thanks very much, Joe. And a link to that guide, you can find that in the episode notes for this podcast episode. For more information on this and all POA activity, please visit poauk.org.uk.